If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 308 of the world's fourth most dangerous podcast. You guys have let me down recently. I'm Chad Dotson and with me here once again is our friend Chris Garber. How are you today, Chris? I am, I am, Chad. Ooh, that, I'm not sure we can continue after that. It's uh, sort of a, I feel like I need to consider that a little bit. Well, it's it's thought-provoking. This is a, <laughs> this is a thought, thought-provoking uh, podcast. Yeah, no one has ever accused this podcast of being thought-provoking. But here we are, and it's been a, a sort of a wild week. And uh, we did an emergency podcast about Nick Castellanos, but you and I haven't spoken about him yet. So... Let's uh, kind of go in order of the news this week. And Castellanos was the first thing the Reds signed him to a uh, a, a nice kind of a four year deal. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a series of one year deals or it's a four year deal. You decide how you want to determine it. But you know, sixty four million uh, total and uh, with some opt outs. But I'm pretty uh, a pretty big fan of this signing. As I said on our emergency podcast, what are your thoughts about uh, this guy? Ye- you know, uh, I'm a fan of it too. I, I really don't know exactly how he fits on the Reds roster. Um, I I am now convinced he's going to be a pretty good hitter, and 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 not a not a terrible defender. I guess that's the the way you know. Right. Uh, uh, above Adam Dunn on the defensive <laughs> spectrum, I guess. Boy, talk, talk about damning the yeah. faint praise. My well, goodness. I mean, you know, I mean, look, we watched Jesse out there doing his thing, so <laughs> I think it'll maybe be like that. But I, I still don't know what the plan is overall. But as a signing itself, um, he's a good add to the team. The I don't know if you talked about this the other night. I was having some problems with my podcast app, but uh, – the the spray chart I saw the other day on Nick Castellanos crazy, just amazing. Yeah, we didn't and, talk and, about that. Know, so so describe what you describe what it was. Yeah, somebody had taken his his uh, his fly ball and line drive chart from Tiger Stadium, I guess, the first two thirds of last season, and overlaid it over the river the Great American Ballpark dimensions. Did did you all say Riverfront Stadium? I did. I did. <laughs> I love I it. I love right it. into it. Yeah. <laughs> So I and I don't remember I didn't I didn't count all the little dots but there were an awful lot of little dots that were doubles at uh, Comerica uh, Comerica yeah, yeah it's still Comerica Tiger Stadium exactly that uh, <laughs> that would be home runs at Great American Ballpark I mean like ten twelve yeah. fifteen like a lot well there were there were another ten or twelve or something balls that were would were outs there not just the doubles but there were right, outs. Right. That were also home runs at Great American Ballpark. I mean, you know, I'm not predicting them to hit 50 home runs or anything, but it it was an interesting chart, wasn't it? Yeah, it was exciting. I mean, the the center field is is just kind of a, a no man's land up there in Detroit, and and in Cincinnati, you know, especially that he's going to hit a lot of balls in that little left center field 
gap area there by the by the bullpen. That's yeah. it's just a really friendly little porch there. Yeah, I mean there are as you sort of indicated, there are a lot of questions about how the Reds mix and match everybody. Why do they have this really interesting roster right now? But the the short version of why I'm a fan of this is just hey, look, he makes the offense better. There's no other way to, to uh, look at it other than the Reds needed offense. And he was the, you know, certainly in terms of free agent, he was the best available one still out there. But he makes this offense uh, better. I'm, I, you know, I like the guy. Even, uh, even though it took me a while to figure out how to actually pronounce his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think he is officially Nick, Nick now, not Nicholas, right? We did talk about that in the. We didn't talk about he's going back to. It. We called him Nicholas, and then apologized for calling him Nick a couple times in the emergency podcast. Doug Gray and I, uh, but now he, he's announced that he's back to Nick. So good, we got a lot of Nicks now. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's down to. Down to uh, five syllables in his name. You think he was just trying to endear himself to Dick Williams? Probably. Yeah, probably. Cause... I'd like to see. I like to see his hair. See how uh, how how much he's going with the Dick Williams haircut. But hey, I think he just figured it was easier for him to change his name back to Nick rather than asking uh, Dick Williams to change his name to Dickolas. <laughs> Sorry. <that's>... Ah! <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't even know why I say things sometimes. I'm like the Michael Scott of uh, baseball podcasters. The things I just say things. All right, so uh, Nick Castellanos is uh, a good hitter and should be a really good hitter at Great American Ballpark. And uh, so, you know, where does he play? He probably right. The Reds have said right field and left field. Um, sure, he, baseball. Play he's baseball. Gonna, he's going to play baseball now. He's played a lot of third base, but he's not very good at third base. And the reason I mentioned that is that was the other big piece of news this week, which is that the Reds. Announced, and it was I think it was the same day that they introduced uh, Nick Castellanos. They had the uh, big press conference, and they announced that uh, star third baseman Eugenio Suarez had surgery uh, just that day, uh, earlier this week, on his right shoulder to remove loose cartilage after suffering an injury while swimming in his uh, swimming pool there at home. Loose cartilage after suffering an injury while swimming. Uh, his activity is going to be limited at the start of spring training, but they say, who knows at this point, but... It's the quote was that it's in, anticipated he'll be ready to play near the beginning of the regular season. That's not the news we needed. We were all in this big uh, Castellanos high, right? Yeah, I'm not a fan of this news. It's, <laughs> yeah, you've got a, nice <laughs> a right-handed throwing third baseman who's got shoulder surgery on his throwing arm. I, but you know, it, it is one of those weird deals, like loose cartilage. I, I didn't know I even had cartilage in my shoulder. <laughs> you know, if if. if I hope if it's not loose. If he'd hurt his, well, who knows? If he, but if he, he torn up his rotator cuff or or some kind of, you know, more the, the types of things that that you're familiar with as a right. as a baseball injury, I guess you know. Yeah. So I, I, in this situation, I guess all I can do is uh, is take their word for it that it's not that big a deal. Yeah, you know, um, I hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, every time they say something like that, it takes longer," and it does often, but. We just don't have enough information right now to know whether he's going to be uh, ready near the beginning of the regular season, as they say. It's it's certainly not good. Do you think he would he got hurt uh, while attempting a cannonball? That's my, <laughs> that's my speculation. Fantastic. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Well, I, in all seriousness, I'm looking at a, at a picture of the inside of a skeleton shoulder here, and it looks like the cartilage, as as you know, if I paid attention in school, I'd know, is kind of the cushion between the 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 humerus, the arm bone and the, the scapula, the, the, you know, the shoulder socket, I guess. So I hope it was a, a cannonball or a, a jackknife or, or some sort of stunt, uh, in the pool rather than like a repetitive 
swimming laps type deal, I guess, is what I'm saying. No, actually, that makes sense, actually. It would be much better for him if it wasn't something that showed some uh, some real damage like that. I don't know. You know, we, we don't have nearly enough uh, evidence to make any kind of uh, speculation about this other than taking the Reds at their word. But, you know, they really can't have a Eugenio Suarez out for a long time. You know, I've said about this team, I'm really excited about what they've been able to put together. But I still feel like they're awfully, uh, the depth is awfully thin, I guess. Um, I don't know if that makes any and, sense, but they don't have a lot. Yes. Yeah. And so you Unless lose some, left field. Yeah. You lose, right. You lose somebody for an expend, extended time. And this team, of course, maybe most teams are that way, probably. But still, uh, they can't afford to lose Eugenio Suarez for a substantial amount of time. No, I think that I think that's right. I I, I mean, it's nice that they've got uh, Mike Mustakas, who's a experienced third baseman. Uh, I, I read something this afternoon. I, I think it was a C. Trent uh, piece in the Athletic that was basically the the thinking was Mustakas can play can keep working at second base in spring training until kind of the end, and then they can slide him over there to third and for the regular season until Suarez gets back, so he can still kind of polish his second base skills for when he gets back there eventually yeah and uh probably more options for second base i guess in terms of backup uh if you move mustakas over there then then players that you would uh, think of other than mustakas to play third you know you got josh van meter you have uh nixon zell they've and we'll talk more about nixon zell in a moment i want to talk about him but um let's hang off on that but they they have said that he's an option to play infield some this year so he could be an option at second base as well so I don't know. It's a good thing they got Moustakas. It's always a good thing to have a Moustakas. You know, it's like we've almost forgotten about the Moose. It's been such a crazy off season. He, you know, he was the the first domino to fall, and uh, the, the, the largest free agent signing in Cincinnati Reds history. Yeah, he was the canary in the coal mine here. What we had to expect this off season, and we just didn't respect him enough when he was first signed. You know, I'm sure there was there's some kind of a jerk, and it, it wasn't me, but it could have been who was like, "Oh, the fine Moustakas is great, but that, that's all they're going to do, isn't it?" You know. <laughs> Showcase here for Reds Fest. Whatever. They better do something else. Now they've signed 73 more players since yeah. then. Yeah, they, they they have done other things. It's really kind of amazing. That's something we probably should talk about. Let's talk about the, their most recent. <laughs> Nick Castellanos wasn't even their most recent free agent signing. Pedro Stroke. No, not even their most recent Cub free agent signing. <laughs> exactly. I got a friend that's a Cub. You know, on the other last podcast, I talked about a friend that I had that was a Cardinal fan. And that's not real good. And now I'm admitting that I have a friend that's a, a Cub fan. And, uh, that's what he said to me. He said, I don't like all this news. You're taking our guys. Uh, Pedro Stroke, a relief pitcher, right-handed reliever, signed a one-year, $1.825 million deal with a ton of incentives that could uh, double it if he reaches all those. And, uh, you know, Pedro Strope has uh, had a really good uh, career. Last year he was not good, but his uh, his career numbers and uh, the way he looked before last year for a reliever, Awfully good. Of course, he's you know 35 years old this year, but still, I'm I'm a fan of the, uh, pairing this guy up with uh, with Derek Johnson. Yeah, you know I the the regression last year is a little ter- is a little uh, troubling. Scary for but, a 34 year old reliever. I mean, you know you don't want yeah, to take that lightly. I mean, the amount of money they're spending on him is not in baseball terms much. The commitment is is short term. You know. It's good, great. Sure. If he gets if he gets the two miles an hour back on his fastball that he that he lost last year, then they've got an elite reliever. And if not, then you know he moves on and and they move on. A great great deal. I mean, I, I uh, you know I don't put much stock in this kind of stuff, but um, 
there does seem to be kind of a groundswell of uh, Pedro Strope as a great guy stories going around. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, uh, that Rosecrans piece said, you know, somebody, a, a colleague of his texted him to to kind of just say, hey, because Rosecrans wrote a story about kind of the character guys when Castellanos and Castellanos and uh, Moustakas being added to the team. And uh, the, the the gist of it was, well, hey, there's another guy you could have written about if you waited another day. Oh, well, good. And then, yeah, and I'm looking here, um, Len Casper, who's the Cubs play-by-play guy. He put on Twitter today, thank you, Pedro Strope, for not only being one of the best Cub relievers of all time, but one of, also one of the best human beings around. Wow. You deserve a huge standing O on that first appearance back at Wrigley. Much love. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that there is a, a Chicago Cub who was actually a good person? Not so they say. Now, now look, here's the, the... I don't know, because here's the thing. And this is a big, big deal. But this gentleman... Typically, wears his baseball cap at a slight angle. <laughs> a scance. And I don't know if that's something the good people of Cincinnati can or should have to <laughs> tolerate. Is it at a jaunty angle? It is at, honestly, it's at an absurd angle. <laughs> I, would, I would put it at a solid 30 degrees off center. It's 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 ridiculous, yeah. but uh, whatever. This is a topic that we were going to talk about later because our very first uh, viewer mail question from patreon.com slash redlegradio, where if you support the podcast, you can uh, ask questions as well. Mike Hart asks, how will Pedro Strope block the sun with his hat being so crooked? See, here's the thing. You can laugh all you want, but the, the geographic orientation of Great American Ballpark, folks, is to the southeast. Meaning that if Pedro Strope plays in an evening ball game in Cincinnati, his hat is perfectly situated. <laughs> exactly. It's, oh man, the devil's in the details. I love it. Perfectly uh, situated to walk the sun. Let me ask you this, because you spend a little bit of time on that uh, monster website known as Twitter.com. And, and today I saw some people saying, uh, you know, oh, those of you that are complaining about the way he wears his cap, come on, get it. And I didn't actually see anybody actually complaining about the way he wore his cap. Did you, did you see some of that? Because no, I, I just see the backlash. This is what's great about Twitter now. It's you can you don't even have to wait for the thing to happen before you can complain about it right. or be against it. Yeah, you can just start complaining as if it already happened, <laughs> and, and then someone will someone will be anti your anti anti backlash to the backlash to the backlash. Oh, it's I a love perfect it. yin and yang. <laughs> The the biggest question though is you personally are you upset about his uh, the jaunty angle of his cap? Like I said, I, I I'll be totally honest. I don't love it. I think <laughs> I, it drives me nuts. But I will uh, I will keep my mouth shut and I'll get over it. I, my my father in law incidentally is a great man and uh, but he's a Cubs fan and he has uh, for several years been very frustrated with the the, the stroper as he calls him. <laughs> Well, part of that generation. Uh, ooh, the Stroper. We're gonna have to use that one. Yeah, I don't know if it's his real nickname or just Bill's uh, moniker <laughs> for him, but maybe I don't know. I like it, St- the Stroper. Um, sounds like his name should be you know Candy or Cinnamon or something. See, I I, I don't know why I say these things. Um, I don't have a problem with. I think the Edinson Volquez years. Uh, I'm immune, I'm immune now to let people do whatever they want. And, and you know Johnny Cueto's ridiculous hair. It was awful, and I loved it. I loved it. Whatever. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. yeah. Um, they can't all look like, uh, I don't know who, uh, 
uh, I don't know. Woody Woodward? Woody Woodward, yes. Yes. Uh, thank goodness, I guess. All right. So, uh, Pedro Strope into the bullpen. We have another question about the bullpen in a moment, but uh, uh, I would I want to talk about uh, the other kind of... Uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we called it the elephant in the room, which was Joey Votto and how he's going to be, but... With, all, with the new signings, you're kind of the elephant in the room now. Or the, the topic of conversation has been uh, Nick Senzel. Nick Senzel, of course, rookie last year. And if you've listened to this podcast anytime, you know that uh, we, we've been fairly obsessed with Nick Senzel for a few years. And uh, made his debut last year. It was up and down. Uh, and uh, the presum- presumptive center fielder for the Reds coming into the offseason. Well, now the Reds have signed 40 outfielders. And um, they've basically signed players who play every position Nick Senzel plays. And uh, so there's some questions about uh, where does he fit in? First of all, Doug Gray and I uh, addressed this, that the Reds don't have too many outfielders. Stop saying that. But there has been a rule a rule change? <laughs> Evidently, according to uh, Twitter.com, you know, what are they going to do with all these outfielders? They'll play them. I mean, there's plenty of at-bats. But, but we talked about that. But then John Heyman, and every time I mention him on this podcast, which is far too often, I have to preface it with, this guy's wrong more than he's right. But John Heyman tweets out that the Reds are considering trading Nick Senzel, have heard his name out there on the market. Now, I will say I heard some other uh, speculation, some other reports that I can't publicly uh, talk about um, that may have indicated the Reds at least have kicked the tires on it. But, you know, Dick Williams kind of addressed that in, a, in an interview we're going to play for you in just one moment as well about why he would his name would be mentioned in those. Um but I guess Dick Williams came out and kind of uh, said, well, hold on, hold on. We like Nixon's L. We're keeping him, right? Is that the way you got it? Yeah, yeah. You know, there was some some chatter yesterday. And, I, again, I think people kind of read into it a little bit too much. I did. You know, yeah, well, you did. Uh, I mean, naturally, they're going to think about – they need to make a trade or they want to make a trade. People are going to ask about their most valuable trade ship. And – the, this this Reds regime has never said so and so is off the table. They shouldn't untouchable, and they shouldn't, of course, because it's a dumb thing to say. So, unless and until they say Nick Senzel is off the table, which I don't think they're, I don't think anybody on that roster is off the table. I mean, maybe Sonny Gray, just for contractual and and situational reasons. Honestly, right. anybody else, I think they talk about. Sure, but. Uh, you know, some people read that that Heyman thing, and then you know the the fact that the Reds keep adding outfielders and finding a place to put Mustakas as a well, Sinzel's star has fallen, and and, and then it, you know, and what does it mean for Sinzel? And those are probably fair. And then it got a little bit absurd to be well, the Reds are deliberately <laughs> sabotaging Sinzel, yeah, and they're his his dad said something that made him made him angry, and now they're trying to take it out on him, and I thought. Hold on, let's let's check the brakes here. And I think Dick Williams might have might have felt the same way. I don't know if that that uh, that MLB radio hit was was planned or that comment was planned, but yeah, he may I be hearing he the kinda, same things. Yeah, he kind of straightened it out. I think. Well, there was an article in the Athletic, and uh, and I tweeted something about it, and I, I maybe I didn't word it as well as I, I could have. Um, uh, you know, the comments by Dick Williams in that piece were, uh, you know, Senzel was kind of, they were kind of dismissive of him playing third base. And then later in the piece, it had uh, an interview with David Bell, and he was talking about where everybody fit in. And then he kind of 
it was it was like Senzel was an afterthought in his comments, and so I just said, you know, if if you're looking for reasons to uh, think the Reds are uh, he's you know not in their long, short term or long term plans, you can you know you're not gonna find any evidence otherwise in this piece. And I didn't really mean that the Reds have given up on Senzel because I absolutely do not believe that's true. Um, and uh, Dick Williams did come out today, and we'll, we'll play that audio for you in a moment, but and and kind of put the you know, tamp that down a little bit, but I wasn't trying to say that. I'm just trying to say, well, if you're, you know, for those of you that are wondering, uh, not, not a whole lot of uh, evidence otherwise in this piece. And it was all completely just speculation. And, uh, you know, I, it's just me not knowing how to write. <laughs> You've been dealing with that for a while. <laughs> me not knowing how to write. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's natural, but I, I think we were all reading too much into it. I think, you know, Sinzel being last on David Bell's list may have been alphabetical as much as anything else. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to talk I, to you about your yeah. thoughts on Sinzel and, and what you think about him. But first, let's go ahead and play this clip. It was from uh, MLB Network interview uh, with uh, with Reds uh, President of Baseball Operations, Dick Williams, uh, on the question of uh, trading Nick Sinzel and, and some other things. So we'll, it's just, it's about a minute here. We'll just go ahead and play it. We, we saw really good performance from him last year, and I think what people forget pretty quickly is you know, he came up as an infielder, and when we went into spring training last year and talked about him being in center field, there was a big question mark there, and I think he erased those question marks pretty quickly. Does he still have upside out there? Does he still have room for improvement? Sure, but you know, he held his own offensively, uh, really, until the last part of the season when he made some swing changes. Um, he he was held his own defensive, defensively. If we can keep him healthy, you know, we think he's a really exciting young player. He plays with an edge. He runs. He does the intangible things well. Good baseball instincts. So our preference is to keep guys like that in the organization. We had to go into this offseason knowing that we wanted to add impact. We had to be open uh, to trades. So we certainly talked about a lot of impact players out there. And when you're going to acquire an impact player, a name like Nick Senzel is going to come up. But our preference all along was to spend money and add to the club without touching our, our prospects. And uh, we've been able to do that. So what do you what do you take from that, Chris? Ooh, I have no reason to think he's uh, he's not telling the truth, and I think uh, uh, I think uh, he's also got to keep Nixon Zell's trade value up. You, you know, even if Nixon Zell's not in the Reds' long term plans, there's no upside in 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 running him down. Yeah, I, I actually think Heyman's tweet is probably accurate. And the actual tweet said, Reds are considering trading Nick Senzel, have heard his name is out there on the market. You could probably tweet that about every single player in Major League Baseball every single day, you know. Yeah, uh, they've got to consider it if somebody asks them. <laughs> right, yeah. So, now, but my question for you is is this, and you and I have had a, this conversation just a little bit. I think I'm higher on Senzel than you are at this point. Do you want, to, you want me to talk, talk about why I'm high on him, or do you want to go ahead and tell me why you're maybe just a little less so? Go ahead, you first. Okay, my opinion of Nick Senzel is this. Nick Senzel uh, was absolutely ready when they brought him up. He was obviously ready a year before, I thought. When he came up from day one, he was um, exactly what we thought he'd be. High on base, he played all out, great athlete. And then uh, Red City coach uh, Turner Ward screwed with his swing, and he went downhill after that. Now... My reason why I'm so high on Sinzel still is that uh, there's some there's a reason why his numbers went down, um, but he has been a top shelf hitter at every level, and there's no reason to think he we, and we saw him do it for you know a little while two two and a half months in uh, in the big leagues, 
So there's no reason to think he's not going to be that same guy that he was. I mean, he was the number five prospect in all of baseball when he uh, was promoted to the major leagues. And, you know, a half a year or, or two-thirds of a year or whatever, not enough to change my mind. He's been great at every level. And not only that, people underestimate his athleticism. He was the in the Florida State League. He was the best defensive, rated as the best defensive third baseman in the league. In the International League, he was rated as the best a defensive second baseman in the league. Now, those are two positions he's not necessarily playing right now, but this is a guy that can play a lot of places. He's a great athlete. And I, I just, I'm not uh, trusting the post-Turner uh, Ward uh, numbers as much as I'm going to uh, trust Nick Senzel. Now, your thoughts. Well, so let's go. I, I want to get into that Turner Ward thing a little bit because, you know, I don't know what went on. But as I remember that story and even going back and, and looking at some of the articles, it, you know, it, it probably – the story that I remember from the summer was Sinzel going to Turner Ward and saying, I haven't hit a home run in 125 at-bats. we got to make some changes. And I, I don't know, you know, so I don't know that it's like Turner Ward was like, well, this guy's raking the ball. I want to, I want to monkey with him here. Well, um, let me, uh, I'm trying to pull it up now. Uh, you know, I haven't really talked about it here yet. Um, on the podcast, but uh, I've, I'm writing a piece about Sinzel for Cincinnati Magazine. It should be around opening day, and I got a deadline coming up. I really got to start working on that. And uh, I'm trying to find it. Um, and I asked him about that. I interviewed uh, Sinzel, and his story. Oh, now see, I can't find it. You're doing this to me, Chris. Talk while, well, while I look you for look. It. While yes. you look, here's what I just looking at. He went from June 21st to August 9th with one home run. Now, he didn't hit poorly. He hit 294, 341 on base, and a 413 slugging because he had eight doubles and, and two triples. But that's a span of 37 games, 33 starts, 126 ABs, where he only hit one home run. So, you, you know, that's a, that's a Billy Hamilton pace. That's five home runs over a full season. Right. Which, what were the other numbers? Can, uh, well, let's see. I just said it. Um, like I said, it was it was two ninety four, three forty one, four thirteen. Okay, so he had he'd be on pace for thirty six doubles and nine triples. Now, but thirty six walks and one hundred and thirty two strikeouts over a full season. Okay. So for I mean, it wasn't like he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying like he wasn't wrong to think I, I things aren't going perfectly right now. And uh, want to make an adjustment. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's right, and and I'm going to tell you what he said because I did find it here. And again, you know, uh, maybe this is a revisionist history. I don't know. I have no reason to believe this is not what he really uh, thought because this is what he said. But um, I asked him about the stance. He said, "I've learned from it. That was something that was kind of brought up. I was open to trying. I really was confident, and it was something that I experimented with. It was something I knew going into. It's not going to be perfect. There's going to be struggles. It came to a point where I was tired of not helping my team." So I said, screw it, I can't do it anymore. And that's when he went back to the old stance. Uh, there's a lot I learned, you know, how the body moves, and some other things that may or may not be in my... Um, he said, I was doing a couple things I don't normally do because of that. I felt like that was uh, creating some bad habits and wasn't as comfortable as I wanted to be at the plate. So um, anyway, that was uh, that's the way he described it. And he didn't never mention Turner Ward specifically. He never criticized the Reds. He said, hey, they brought something up. I, w I was open to it. Just like uh, he said in a couple other places. They wanted me to move to second base? Okay, sure. They wanted me to try shortstop? Yeah, why not? You know, I'll do whatever they want me to do. So um, so anyway, you know, I, 
I don't know what to make of it. But uh, the fact of the matter is, he did make that change, and whether it was his dis- decision or not, it did not work out. And uh, he's back to his uh, other stance now, or his previous stance, or maybe even a little bit uh, modified from that. But I don't know. I'm still pretty high on him. Anyway, I, I interrupted you, I think, there. You were talking about Nixon Zell. You know, if you look at Nick Senzel from August through September 7th when he got hurt again, that's when he kind of bottomed out, right? It was He, he, was, he OPSed 554. He batted 188 batting average. Uh, and, and up until that point, you know, I would say from the start of the season through the end of July, but of course he spent the first month in AAA uh, because of reasons. So, but you know, up through in the July, he was hitting 285, 346 uh, on base, and a 475 slugging. That's a really solid rookie year for a center fielder who's playing at least average defense. Um, so the question is whether it was the swing adjustments. What the interesting thing to me was in that the, that second half, we'll call it of the year, his uh, batting average on balls in play was only 233. And up and before that, it was like three fifty-five or or something, you know, much more robust. Right. And and there's some of that's bad luck, and some of that is not hitting the ball as hard usually. Right. Not hitting as many line drives. And I, I tried this afternoon to check because I figured we'd talk about this. And I am at least not able to crack the code of uh, the Statcast data to get it by month or by week or by game. So I don't really know if he hit the ball harder or, or, or stopped hitting the ball as hard in the later in the year, or if it was, or if we can chalk it up to bad luck. I don't know. Well, and and you know what, it's still a small sample, frankly, uh, and so we'll, we'll learn more about Nick Senzel this year. But I don't know. I think I'm, I'm with you. I, I agree that the Reds aren't uh, necessarily disenchanted with him, but uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see. What did you think about Dick Williams's quote? This is what I thought was interesting. Our preference all along was to spend money and add to the club without touching our prospects, and we've been able to do that. Now, what's interesting about that is that, you know, in, in last last winter, the Reds traded a lot of the guys, and we can talk about how good those prospects were and what they got back and all that, whatever. We can uh, do a postmortem on that if we want, but this year, they really have they've improved the team fairly substantially, it seems to me, and they've not touched any of their prospect capital, and that uh, seems kind of significant to me as they look to kind of fill in the final holes ar- around the team. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's, they, uh, well, you know, I think they've done what a a sensible team does, which is says, what, what are my strengths? I will play from those strengths. And, and in this case, the strengths this off season are cash. They've got cash in hand. Uh, you know, another Trent Rosecrans interview we had with, with Bob Castellini a couple of days ago. And, I don't know if you saw that one, but he had he had a quote in there that was it was really interesting, and he he said, uh, you know, the question was kind of like why are we we going out and spending all this money on free agency now? And Castellini said we were fortunate to have some equity money from our Fox relationship, and it enabled us to do what we're doing. But here's the game plan: this doesn't last monetarily, so we have to win for these fans, so they'll continue to come. Which I get. I I don't really understand the equity line. Right. I, I I think it's you know a, a cash infusion. I don't I don't know that they got equity in Fox and sold it and have a, a nest egg. But but uh, uh, you know he had a chunk of money sitting around, and to his credit, he spent it on the baseball team. 
And and I think it's probably fair to acknowledge that he's not going to have, at least in terms of operating cash, that kind of pile laying around every winter unless they win a lot of games. Yeah. And if they win, they they make more money and they can spend more. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you're right. They have this pile of money that was uh, sitting there for whatever reason. And many times in the past, Red's ownership has chosen not to spend that money. Uh, and, and they did this winter. And I think, you know, we can argue about whether, they did was, whether what they did was good or bad or, you know, the, all these individual signings. But you have to acknowledge that they finally, for the first time in a long time, stepped up to the plate to try to compete with other big league teams. And, and a good argument to make they're the only team in the National League Central that was serious about improving this offseason. And, and you know, uh, I wish I hadn't seen the quote about, uh, now the fans better come, because I read that as, you know, if you're happy with this and don't show up, we're going to go back to our, <laughs> you know, um, cheap ways. But uh, it, you could read that different ways, I guess. But, uh, but it makes some sense. They spent some real money, and, uh, you know, hopefully the wins will come, because regardless of the excitement right now, if, if they start out 1-8 and eight, like they did last uh, last April, then it's going to diffuse a, whole, a lot of this uh, excitement coming into this season. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think what he said, I mean, I read it as a pretty reasonable thing. He's like, if, if, we, if we get people in the stands, we can keep doing this, which I think is a fair deal, right? Yeah, and I think it's, it's probably true as far as it goes. Uh, but, you know, yeah. uh, in the past, Red's ownership has been like, oh, you know, we can't make enough money because nobody's coming to the games without realizing. Uh, for he, he, us, yeah. Right. At least he acknowledges if we win – the fans will come and and we'll have more you know have more money. He's not basically putting it on the fans. He's saying if we if this works and we win some, everybody get excited and then we can keep it going. Maybe so. I don't know. It's a pretty exciting, pretty exciting off season so far. Yeah, I saw something the other day, and 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 forgive me if you've already talked about this, but it said that the the Reds had spent three times the amount of money on free agents this off winter this off season. As the entire NL Central put together, I didn't see that. Wow! I can, so you take probably true. Everybody signed by every team in the division times three, and it's still less than the Reds signed. This was before Strope. Wow! So, so basically, we're going to win three times as many games as anyone in the division. I mean, I think that's what you're saying, right? It's uh, mathematically certain. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just math. I was told yeah. there would be no math. But I mean, you know, I mean, look, the there's a there's a Keith Law piece in the Athletic that I just read and got irritated by. Where he he's like, well, they're not gonna. They didn't add fourteen wins, and that's what they need to go to the to go to the playoffs. But I don't know that if you go purely by you know adding wins above replacement, all that kind of thing. Do they add fourteen? I don't know, but I do know that St. Louis hasn't gone forward, and Milwaukee hasn't gone forward, and the Cubs sure as heck haven't gone forward. So you know they were what were the Reds sixteen games out, I guess. A Last million. It first. felt like a million. It did feel like a million, but I, I it certainly feels reachable. Yeah, I agree. And uh, there's a, a Keith Law gets mentioned in one of our beer mail comments, and I'll just say this: uh, I have a long-standing policy of just I don't read anything he writes anymore. I just I, I got just surprised. I didn't know when he went to the Athletic, and I'm just minding my own business reading the Athletic, and and there they sneak a Keith Law in there. <laughs> just yeah. So I haven't read this, although I've heard the complaints. But uh, yeah, you know I. I think that you do have to look at it in the context of how the rest of the division has, whether they've improved or regressed or, or just kind of tread, treaded water. And uh, I don't think there's any question but that the Reds have uh, gained ground more than anybody else in, in, in the division. And whether that means a division championship or whether that means they're just in the wild card race, just in the wild card race, 
I think those are all uh, reasonable expectations for this team. You want to answer some questions, Chris? Yeah, but let me do one thing really quickly. Can I tease one thing? Uh, the the MLB radio network or MLB network radio interview with Dick Williams. I want to encourage everybody to, to seek that out and find the whole thing because I just want to tell you the other uh, quote that they pulled out of there that you can find on their Twitter feed is Dick Williams talking about whether Joey Votto can dunk. <laughs> this is information we need. I does, and and the the uh, the MLB Network is illustrated with a a nice Photoshop of Vince Carter dunking with Joey Votto's head, complete with Red's cap on Vince <laughs> oh, Carter's body. Goodness. So anyway, and Dick Williams also claims that he at one time could dunk. He's fairly tall. I think I can buy that. All right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dig into some questions because almost all of them uh, relate to some things we've been talking about and give us a different angle to approach some of these questions surrounding where the twenty twenty Reds are going to be when we get to the regular season. Before we start, uh, again, these first uh, questions are going to come from patreon.com slash redlegradio. You don't have to, but if you want to uh, go there and support us, we really appreciate everybody that does support us. Uh, toss a couple bucks our way. You can get your viewer mail questions priority and, uh, and join the pirate ship. Now, got to thank a couple of new subscribers this week. And Chris, you know, customarily, our, our, our what we do is that when we get a new uh, subscriber that we, that we thank on the podcast here, we pick out which uh, which position they would play on the field. So our first is Zach Payne. Zach Payne, new subscriber uh, within the last week. Zach Payne, thank you so much for uh, for joining the the crowd here, uh, the growing group of uh, supporters of Red Lake Nation Radio. What position do you think Zach Payne plays? Well, there's a few. Um, I mean, first, Zach Payne is is quite likely a uh, comic book villain. Oh, you know what? You may be right. But you know, like, yeah. Day to day, though, he's posing as a as a as a baseball player. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm imagining him as like it's like a it's like a high school set comic, and he is like not only the bully during the day, but he's like a super villain. I really like this idea. (laughs) I like it, and his his name's spelled P A Y N E, so that's a perfect you know uh, cover. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, on the baseball field, I am going to say. Zach Payne's a relief pitcher. Okay. I'm not even going to say because I am so enamored of the idea that Zach Payne is actually a comic book uh, supervillain. So that's he's the first uh, supervillain we've had. Sorry, Zach. You're a villain. Uh, next one, Isaac Shepard. Now, Isaac Shepard to me, and you tell me whether I'm right. When I see Isaac Shepard in my mind's eye, I see this right fielder with a big arm throwing out guys at third base, kind of like Dave Parker, basically. I see a, a left-handed hitting right fielder. Got some pop, you know, uh, solidly above average player. Not a Hall of Famer, but awfully good. Uh, <laughs> snuck into the MVP co- conversation a couple times. Got some votes. Got some votes. Uh, just a solidly above average right fielder with a booming arm. What do you see for oh, Isaac Shepard? I'm with you. I'm with you. I can see this. He's, uh, and, and like Dave Parker, he he bats left, throws right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's, uh, He's outstanding. So sorry that you're not in a comic book, though, Isaac. But thank you so much for supporting Red Leg Nation Radio. Now let's go to the viewer mail questions. We already answered one. Next one comes from Stephen Offenbaker, host of the Reds that. Alert podcast. Yeah, you know that guy. Um, we wish we didn't know him, but gosh, I hope he doesn't listen to this. And he won't hear it for several hours. They're in a different time zone. Ah, oh, good point. Um, Aloha, Stephen says. By my count, the Reds only have one slot left in the bullpen. 
with Castillo, Gray, Bauer, Disco, Miley, that's your starters, and then relievers, Strope, Lorenzen, Garrett, Stevenson, Cody Reed, Lucas Sims, and Rasel Iglesias. That's 12 of the 13 slots, and 13 with the roster things this year is the max. <laughs> yeah, gee, oh, you have to get by with 13, 13 pitchers. I know. What a struggle. I know. Who gets that last slot? Would the Reds risk exposing Stevenson, Reed, or Sims to waivers? I mean, I think we're just talking about this group. You know, Sal Romano is out of, out of options as well. He may get that spot, but um, I could see them exposing uh, well, any of those guys to waivers, really, but I would be surprised if they did. you have any thoughts on the last reliever slot? Uh, well, so you've got some. You got Romano. You've got uh, David Carpenter, Tyler Thornburg, Jesse Biddle, and Brooks Raley, if you want to list off some of the, the non-roster guys. And then you've got uh, Nate Jones, who is – I think it's going to be Nate Jones or Sal Romano. That's my – Yeah. I would be surprised if it, were, if it were Biddle. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, these uh, – you know, a lot of it's going to depend on what the Reds see out of some of these uh, non-roster guys in spring training. they got the major league invites. But uh, I would say yeah, a guy like Romano uh, or Jones would have kind of an inside track. I, I And let me just – this is go on a bit of a preemptive rant here about spring training. This this is the one thing that worries me about having so much so much talent in the in the the organization. I know I've gotten on people about complaining about that, but my only worry is, and we saw this last year, that someone's spring training numbers are going to quote unquote earn them a spot on the roster or a starting position or some other role that objectively is probably not the smartest idea. Right. We're like, you know, the Shebler situation last year where he hit 600 or something in spring training. What if that's a Kino? Yeah. What if it is a Kino? I mean, that, so, that, it's, that gives a real question for the Reds, you know, what do you do? And it, it's, it's hard because you've got a Kino and you got Akiyama who you don't have full information about yet. Mm hmm. So, you know, and, and, and even, I don't know, Sinzel's coming off an injury and, and right. so I could see any number of those guys other than probably Castellanos, if they just tank it in spring training, not getting, not getting, uh, you know, the playing time that they might expect yeah, and, and Jesse, vice versa. Jesse Winker, you know, he's been, he's destroyed right-handed pitching his whole major league career and minor league career, professional career. You know, he could have a bad month in spring training, and does he find himself out in the out in the wilderness, or, or vice versa? What if Jesse Winker hits five hundred in the spring? Right. Is everyone say, well, now Jesse Winker is going to contend for a batting title because that could be the case. That could be right. Could be, or it could be a a good month against indifferent pitching. Yeah, I guess you've left kind of trust the Reds to uh, take a look at what he does in spring training, and also weigh that against the larger sample of what he's done the rest of his career. So yeah, and and I I would be more comfortable with that trust if the Shebler thing hadn't happened last year. <laughs> Literally less than one calendar year ago, Ugh. Scott Shebler earned the opening day center field nod over Nick Senzel. It's a baseball <laughs> decision. Yeah, earned. Yeah, earned. Joe Farsing asks one of his typical viewer mail questions: Cal Daniels or Charlie Daniels or Cal L. <laughs> Cal Daniels or Charlie Daniels or Kal-El. Kal-El is like a Superman thing, right? I I believe that is, uh, or, or Nicholas Cage's son, maybe? Oh, I don't know. I, is it 
Is it Superman or Superman's father, Marlon Brando? Ah, uh, good question. No, but Cal Cal uh, Cage is an actual fourteen year old person. You know, Nicholas Cage was uh, uh, rumored for years to be the next uh, Superman until it didn't happen. But uh, yeah, Cal yeah. is Superman. Jor El is Marlon Brando. There you go, Jor El. Um, so who do you go there? Cal Daniels, Charlie Daniels, or Cal El? Man, I'm going to pick Cal Daniels in almost any lineup of three humans or fictional characters that you can put together. <laughs> yeah, Cal Daniels, man, what what a fun guy. I love that guy. Still, still not sure quite why he never became what he should have been, but uh, he got some talent. I think his knees fell apart. Well, that yeah, that won't help your major league career. It's harder. Makes I'm gonna harder. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Charlie Daniels here. Let me tell you why. I'm not going with the Charlie Daniels you think I'm going with. I'm going with uh, Charlie Daniels, the freshman kicker on my son's high school football team. Now, my son didn't play football, but uh, he's a. So I got a son that's a freshman in high school as well, so it's one of his classmates. And their, their freshman kicker was named Charlie Daniels. And every time he made a field goal or an extra point, they played. The devil went down <laughs> to Georgia, and the kids just loved it, I'm told. I didn't go to any football games. but So I'm going to go Charlie Daniels, the freshman uh, from my son's high school. I support that. <laughs> All right, excellent. Uh, Joe has another question. What's your most prized baseball possession? Doesn't have to be anything material. Could be a memory, or you could very well own a Honus Wagner baseball card. Do you have a most prized baseball possession? Oh, gosh. That's a good question. I'm just going to look around here at the well, I'll give you my answer office. while, while ahead, you're looking yeah. at the home office in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, I, I don't really – I'm not a memorabilia guy. Never have been. You know, people – like the autographs and all that stuff. That's great. Not a, whatever. I don't have a problem with any of that. Um, I've just never been a memorabilia guy. I do have one autographed item. And when I was, you know, like uh, 12 years old or something, I started bugging my parents for uh, a, a Barry Larkin jersey. That's what I wanted for Christmas every year. I just wanted a Barry Larkin jersey. Because I thought that'd be Reasonable. cool to have. Yeah, right, you know. Um and then I never didn't get it, you know, like for Christmas as a twelve-year-old, and I didn't get it the next year, and the next year, and the next year, and never got one. And uh, so I, it was kind of a joke around our family, you know. I'd, after I got married, I was like, you know, all I want for, all I want for Christmas is a Barry Larkin jersey. And and the first Christmas after I got married, uh, my parents got me an autographed Barry Larkin jersey. <laughs> so that's that's the only piece of memorabilia. There you I have. go. So, so I'll say that that's my most prized baseball possession. Thank you to my parents for the autographed Barry Larkin jersey. Yeah, you know what I've got? I've got something that I enjoy quite a bit, and it is a uh, a Cincinnati Reds spring spring training used helmet. And I know it's spring training used because it was used on one day of the year, and that was St. Patrick's Day. It's a green Reds helmet. Nice. Authentic, game used, uh, probably late 70s era. So I I'm, I'm, get a lot of fun out of that particular item. That's pretty good. You just reminded me that I actually have uh, Richard Fitch, who writes for Red Leg Nation, good friend, sent me an, an Adam Dunn bat. Uh, I don't know if Adam Dunn actually used it in a game, but it was a it was a, one of his bats, and it's a, one of these Reds authentic. So that's pretty cool. But really my most prized baseball position, I just realized, is I have an autographed copy signed by the author of The Big 50, <laughs> the men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds terribly exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Andrew Scott Wills asks, with a thin shortstop free agent and trade markets, aren't you glad we grabbed Galvis when we did? We could be stuck with Jose Iglesias or Jose Peraza. The Jose's, I call them. With a thin shortstop free agent and trade markets, aren't you glad we grabbed Galvis when we did? Well, 
I'm not entirely sure. I don't mind Freddie Galvis. Let me just preface it with this. I don't want Galvis to become the next uh, thing I get hammered with on Twitter. I don't mind Freddie Galvis. Got some pop, pretty good glove. You know, uh, I can live with him if I have to. But I don't know that there's any evidence that he'll be better than Jose Iglesias. And he also is more expensive than Jose Iglesias. So, I guess... Uh, you know, if those are our choices, I I can live with Galvis, but I'd rather somebody better than any of those three. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's right. And and it's not like it's not like if they didn't sign Freddie Galvis, they would have like forgot to sign a shortstop. They could have had Iglesias easily, I'm sure, because he, I mean, yeah. he signed for uh, you know three million or whatever with the with the Orioles, and, and who wants to go to Baltimore? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I don't know. I I, uh, I get it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. And, and the the thing I'm thinking about this Reds lineup, and they've got a ton of really really good guys. They've got, I mean, a lot of like B plus level right. players, four win, four and a half win guys. But what I don't I don't know if they've got anybody who is a realistic chance at being a an MVP candidate, at being a, a six seven eight win. Player maybe on the pitching side, I yeah. they, they have a lot of guys on the on the, the rotation who could do that, but in the lineup, I, Suarez is probably their their highest upside guy, and we've seen that. Um, I mean, Aquino, I suppose, could hit sixty five home runs, <laughs> right? But uh, no guy that's going to be in the MVP conversation. And do you have to yeah, have I a guy like that? I maybe. I don't know. I kind of think you do. Maybe I think you kind of unless you've got you know using thirty year old parlance four twenty game winners in the rotation. In the, I think in the do. parlance of our times, yeah, you know, I, I think you kind of you got to have somebody, and and I think that goes back to my nagging Nick Senzel question: is really is he capable of being that good? And and Senzel, I think I think it's just I think it's partly just the nature of the guy. He's really really good at everything, but doesn't stand out at any one thing. So yeah, he, I think he I has can, no weaknesses. He really has yeah. no weaknesses other than health. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fair. I, I, but I think I tend, to, I, I think I tend to underrate him for that reason, probably. Or maybe I overrate him because I see nothing that he does poorly. But maybe he doesn't have the, you know, the ceiling of, uh, you know. Well, we got a question later that will allow us to address that exactly. So, all right, let's, let's, let's move on. Uh, let's answer a couple more. Brian Bowdy asks, why do the same people who dislike the designated hitter because it removes strategy from the game also want the manager to play the same eight position players in the same lineup order every single day? Good question, Brian, but I'm going to have to question the premise uh, of, of your question which because I, I dislike the designated hitter um, myself, and I also don't want the manager to play the same eight position players. But there are a yeah, significant number yeah. of people that think we have to name eight starters or the world's going to end. No, I, I'm I'm with you. I, I, I kind of I'd have to see the survey that lines those two people up. Because I... I, uh, I don't like the designated hitter at all, but uh, I don't need them to have. I'm, I'd be fine if they wanted to platoon three or four positions, as long as they can get uh, the you know the right guys in those roles and, and keep them happy enough. Yeah, um, you and I uh, we have done a few of these, and uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you have access to. Uh, these uh, Patreon exclusive podcasts. So these uh, Friday podcasts are always going to be free, but we do one month for uh, for our patrons. And the last one you and I did was about the 1975 Reds 
regular season because we're looking at the championship years. And uh, it seemed to me like the Reds fans should be accustomed to not having the same eight position players in the sample line border every day because it's one of the things you and I talked about on that podcast was the great eight. They literally called the great eight in Reds history. And they really didn't play together that, that often. You know, Sparky Anderson mixed a match, got guys rest. And now the way the game is now, it's even more uh, prevalent around baseball that you just don't have eight starters. Nobody does. Right? Right. Right. I, I mean, even back then, you'd have a few guys p- playing 162 games a season in, you know, across the league. I don't, I don't know how many did in the National League last year, but it couldn't have been many. I share Brian Bowdy's uh, frustration, though, with people that uh, think it's – I just get sick of answering the question. <sighs> Too many outfielders. What are they going to do? So, Kyle Kapler asks at patreon.com slash redlegradio, on a scale of 10 to Keith Law – I'll let you decide what to make of that. <laughs> On a scale of 10 to Keith Law, how do you feel about the Reds after their latest moves? So uh, I'm not sure what kind of a scale that is. I love it for some reason. Kyle, good work. But but the question's a good one. How do you feel about the Reds after the latest move? You know, I, I thought they were a 500, slightly above 500 team before Castellanos. Now after Castellanos, and, and we'll add Strope in there. Um, and I guess we have to add Suarez in there as well. But how do you feel about the Reds? Uh, I, th- I think they're probably 87 wins or 88. I mean, they've got a chance to be a 90-win team. I, I think so. I, mean, I guess I'd give, I'd say on a scale of 0 to 10, I'd say 7. But what about on a scale of 10 to Keith Law? Well, so I, that goes from 10 to negative 1,000? <laughs> I'd probably go with uh, Ken Rosenthal on that scale. Uh, Gary Hilliard asks... <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Given the crowded outfield situation, I have two questions. First question for 2020, would you rather have Mike Moustakas or Nick Senzel as your starting second baseman? So let's take that one first. For 2020, would you rather have Mike Moustakas or Nick Senzel as your starting second baseman? To me, I think uh, I'll, I'll let you answer as well, but uh, Moustakas, because the you know, only other place he can play is third base. And he's not playing third base if Suarez is there. Unless you've moved Suarez to shortstop, I might actually sign up for that. Uh, Although with, yeah, sh- with right? the shoulder injury, I that's mean, definitely it, not happening. But. Yeah, is the story that I've got Eric Davis in center field and and Eugenio Suarez at third, and, and I'm going to play one of these two guys are going to play second and the other one's going to sit the bench? That's a tougher question, but the, the way the roster is constructed now, I think it's uh, it certainly makes sense to put Moustakas at second and Senzel at center. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And now, now I would have before the injury, certainly. And I know the Reds know way more than me. And there's a reason why they this is maybe probably wasn't even in the in the conversation. I know that uh, Suarez has played some shortstop in the past. I would absolutely have signed up for Suarez shifting over to short, Mustakas at third, and Senzel at second. I, you know, at least on an occasional basis. Um, there, are, I, I have serious doubts about whether he could actually be a legitimate big league shortstop. But I don't know that he would embarrass you either. And uh, he might embarrass you. I don't know. But um, I think, yeah, Senzel in center. Or, you know, Senzel could probably be right, left, second, third. I mean, Senzel could really be, if if they wanted to do this, could be kind of a super sub type guy. That's one of the things I asked him. And he, and he did say that he liked the idea that the flexibility is going to help his career. But he also was happy about the fact that at the time of my interview, which was before they signed Akiyama and Castellanos, that he was pretty happy that they told him he was going to be in center field. And that's what he knew he had to work on coming into the season. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's a very interesting thing because uh, the the Cubs, of course, have have made a you know pretty pretty prominent uh, show of 
of having guys move around and having a lot of position flexibility and so forth. But I do think it's it's not easy. You know, these guys, it's hard to play defense at any one of these positions. And unless you have the guys, uh, you know, mentally in a place where they want to do that, yeah. I, you know, I think you, you can have some real bad uh, outcomes that way. And also, you know, Sinzel's a guy that could probably play every position on the field except for catcher. And he'd probably play catcher if you needed him to in a, in a pinch. But uh, there's a chance he could be a gold glove type at one position if you got a chance to work on that and learn the position at the big league level as well. So there, you know, there's, you're, you're giving away something as well. I don't know. Um, Gary Hilliard's second question was, and this is the one I was th- referencing earlier, and I want to hear what you have to say about this. Would you trade Nick Senzel for Corey Seager straight up? Dodger, yes. Dodger shortstop Corey Seager. Not, not even going to think about it. If not, which team would have to sweeten the pot? Side comment, if I was a Dodgers fan, the thought of Gavin Lux and Nixon's over the next five or six years would make me very happy. Seager, uh, let me just say that Seager is very likely a better player than Nixon's Zell. Uh, Rookie of the year, uh, already been good for four and a half seasons in the big leagues. Uh, although it injured one year, but uh, just a really good player. The thing about Seager, though, is only two years left on the contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to... Uh, Add that into the mix. Uh, if you're asking me straight up, yeah, I, I like Senzel. I, I'm the biggest fan of Nick Senzel there is. And I like the fact that they have him for um, longer than just two years. And I think he's going to be a very good big league player. Straight up, I probably have to do it. Corey Seager at shortstop on this team for the next two years. Yeah. It's a guy who led the league in doubles as a shortstop at tw- age 25. Yeah. Yeah, they're roughly the same age. Seager's a, a year older, basically. Um yeah, I mean, I think I think I would do it. So, I mean, you know, and I'm not sure the Dodgers would, frankly. So uh, the Reds would have to sweeten the pot. Would. I don't think Dodgers would. I mean, the Dodgers, the Dodgers want to win now. They can't get rid of a starting shortstop. The, the only reason there's been some discussion about Corey Seager this uh, winter is because there have been some talk about Francisco Lindor being available, and the Dodgers have been kind of active in those discussions. And so that's why Seager might have been available. If they're not getting Francisco Lindor, I can't imagine why they would trade uh, you know, Seager at this time. So, um, yeah, I love Nixon Zell, but I can't say that one. I, I would make that trade, uh, even with just the two years. I'd spend those two years begging him to sign an extension every day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas hey, Kroll and hey, Nicholas Corey. Williams need to go to his locker every Corey, day. You got a minute? You got a minute? <laughs> Please. Hey, you got a minute? <laughs> we'll give you all the money. Um, Although I'd have to say this, I have a brother named Corey, and I would not sign him to a long-term deal. <laughs> good baseball weird. player. He was a good baseball player. I'm going to tell you a little story about my brother, Corey. Uh, my senior year of high school, I did not play baseball. As we've already discussed, I was encouraged to join the tennis team by our baseball coach. And But my brother at the time, he was a uh, sophomore that year, and he still played baseball because he was actually good. And um, I did play basketball and uh, you know had an okay senior season, I guess, for a unathletic uh, kid like me, but the same guy that covered our local baseball in the, in the local paper also covered basketball. So one game, my brother got a hit and came around, scored the winning run in a big game for the baseball team. And in the paper the next day, they uh, credited that winning run to me. 
Oh, that's great. <laughs> He's never forgiven me because I was, I was with her playing tennis that day. <laughs> that's fantastic. Good for you. Yeah, that's my best baseball highlight. I hope that when I'm president of the United States, people are going back and, and researching my history for my biography. <laughs> that's right. And they'll credit me for that. That's what I'm hoping. That's great. <laughs> the real Todd father. And he's it's self-proclaimed the real Todd father. I don't know if we can trust him, but he, he is saying he's the real Todd father. His question at patreon.com slash redlegradio is this. With Strope signing and Castellanos deferrals, that brings the total 2019 payroll to around $137 million. Do you feel the Reds will still, still add a backup shortstop via trade or free agency or go into the season with what they have now? Uh, do they have a backup shortstop? That's my first question. I think they they would be completely happy to go into the season with Kyle Farmer or or Alex Blandino you know, as their backup shortstop, but I think the I'd give it a fifty percent or greater chance they sign some kind of infielder between now and opening day. A Jose Peraza but, type. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I, yeah, I think whatever it is, who, whoever it is, you're not going to be impressed by the I, by yeah. the move. It's going to be a depth you know, move. Yeah, it's going to be Jose Iglesias last year. That, that's the upside, right? You're going to be like, oh, that's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, that minor, could be interesting. Minor league uh, contract with an inv- invitation to spring training. Yeah, I mean, I think they're probably going to add someone. Although, I'll be honest, if, if Blandino is healthy, I don't really have a problem with Blandino being that guy. He's hitting the minors. Well, you know, yeah, I mean. It, I'm not saying I love the, it, but. Well, you know, the, the, the conversation of Alex Blandino and probably unfairly leads into one of my hobby horse topics, which is the the horrible drafting the Reds have done in the last 10 years or eight Miserable. years or whatever it is. Miserable. And I've had many an argument with our friend Doug Gray, who insists on defending the Reds drafting in those years. But, I mean, Blandino's a, a first-round pick, a number 29th overall in the 2014 draft. And he's he's what twenty seven years old, and he's he's got played ninety two games in the major leagues, and he's got thirty nine hits. It's not a drafting win, but he's what he is at this point. Right? Yeah, yeah, and that's fair. I mean, I, I don't mean to get off on that, but it's just like, geez, it's another another one where yeah, you you'd like to see more out of that. That slot in the draft. Yeah, we're going to end up talking about Chris Grueler on this podcast, aren't we? He's got an he's got a best arm since Tom Seaver. <laughs> Joe Farsing, another ridiculous question, as he is uh, is prone to ask: Kiss or Coldplay? Who sucks worse? You know, well, they're coming at it from really different angles, there, aren't they? <laughs> I don't have an I think opinion. It's even. Yeah, yeah. I don't listen to either. Although, we'll say I got invited literally just this week. I was invited by a friend of mine to go to a Kiss concert. Really, the Kiss is still uh... evidently. Wow, I forgot who he said was uh, opening. Somebody, oh, David Lee Roth was opening for Kiss. <laughs> All right, I turned him down flat. No way, I'm going to that. How far would you have to travel? It doesn't matter. Your, if it were, if it were in my, your driveway, yeah, you know they could set up a stage in my backyard, and I'm not going to that. <laughs> um, I'm going out of town that weekend if that happens. Uh, Nathan Sturworth asks. In 2012, the Reds won with Roland, Cozart, Phillips, the younger Votto, Hannigan, ah, Drew Stubbs, and Jay Bruce. These players were all above-average defenders in 2012. I feel like the 2019 team is worse defensively at every position. Should we be worried about the 2019 team defense? What kind of impact will it have on our pitching staff? Um, I'll give my quick thoughts, and then you can weigh in if you want, Chris. 
I think they probably are significantly worse defensively than the 2012 team. I think the margin between the 2012 and 2019 or 2020 teams, he said 2019, but we both meant 2020. Um, I think the margin is that gap has closed a bit because of the way teams shift and position their defenses and uh, the, the, all the, all the stat cast data and all and the strikeouts and home runs and, stri- and walks. Exactly. There are fewer balls in play. So I, I think that, it's yes, it's the worst defense. I don't know that we should be worried because there are fewer balls in play, and uh, and hopefully with those balls that are in play, we know where they're going to go. Is that your yeah. thoughts as well? Totally agree. I mean, it's clear that the Reds have deprioritized defense, and I think as as a quote unquote small market team, they have you can't have it all, and so you have to prioritize certain things. And and as they've had a more strikeout heavy pitching staff. And a fly ball heavy pitching staff, they have less importance on infield defense. And as they've figured out shifts, the outfield defense gets to be more of a team game and less of an individual uh, performance thing. Yeah. Hooper Powell, our buddy Hooper Powell, asks at patreon.com slash redlegradio, I do like the idea of the designated hitter in the National League. I'm against that. But could you argue letting a team pinch run for your pitcher a good idea also? I'm not really sure what that means. Like a designated, a designated runner? runner? Like, uh, sure, why not? I mean, I, uh, I, no, I'm against this and yeah, for actually, one reason. I'm against it for the same reason I'm against the DH, but go ahead. Well, I'm against it because it t- deprives us. We have all the downside of pitchers hitting, but we none of the upside of them putting on a jacket and running the bases. <laughs> exactly. That's the best part about pitchers actually uh, hitting. Put on that jacket. I wish they still put on the big old starter jackets, though. I saw somebody was p- offering one of those for sale the other day on uh, on Twitter. I have one in my garage. Should I sell it? I don't know where mine is, but we need to bring those back out and wear them to a game. Yeah, mine's hanging if in my garage. I can fit in mine. It's next to my old uh, Letterman's jacket. Nice. Yeah, I guess. Um, now, uh, Hooper Powell also says, uh, if I can find this, um, well, where is it? Doggone it. Chadwick. Yes, my name is Chadwick. He says, uh, also, very disappointed Mr. Farsing's opinion of the hottest band in the world. He must be a Maroon 5 fan. And I think I did see Mr. Garber at the Kiss show in Columbus last year. Did you go to the Kiss show with Hooper <laughs> Powell not. last year in Columbus? I, I did not. Okay. I did not. I would have had I been invited. <laughs> exactly. Jim Conley, Hash Brown Viewer Mail. I've been as happy as most fans with the aggressiveness the Reds' front office has demonstrated this offseason to build a winning team. All the players acquired through free agency make the club better. But is it unreasonable or even unfair to wonder if it's enough. No, it's not no. any fun to wonder if it's enough. <laughs> right, it's not fun, but I think actually, I'm not sure this podcast would exist if we couldn't question things like that, though. It's, it's more fun just to just assume they're going to be great. Exactly. So Get excited. I think we have a long-standing tradition here at Red Lake Nation Radio of, of you know saying that fun is the, the idea here. This is professional sports, and, and we're just fans, and so, yeah, I like fun, so we're, we're going to have fun. Um, I do wonder if it's enough. I don't know what else they could have done. You know, any better? Maybe made a trade or something, but uh, I hope it's enough. I, I mean, it, look, they could have done more, but there's no way we could have reasonably expected them to do more. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Rich Thompson, we're coming to the end here. Rich Thompson asks, question number one, the current offseason transactions by Reds management has indeed given me reason to be optimistic, and I am assuming the founders of Red Leg Nation are equally optimistic. With that said, what minimal results by the Reds, in your opinion, 
would constitute a successful 2020 season? Love this question. What do the Reds have to do? What's the bare minimum they have to do for you to get to the end of 2020 and consider it successful? Oh boy. Ah, gosh, it's going to, it's going to, honestly, it's going to be relative, isn't it? It's going to be, I mean, bare minimum, they're going to have to win 85 games and be within five games of first place in the last, well, shoot, within three games of, nah, I don't know. They got to have a reasonable shot in the midway through September, yeah. whatever that is math wise. Right. I wasn't going to put a number on it because for me, they have to be in the mix with a couple weeks left in the season. If they're in the mix, if they're, if they got a reasonable shot at the postseason at that point, then whether they actually make the postseason or not, I'm pretty happy because you know I watch the Reds to see the competitive team and and uh, it'll be a, that'll be a fun season. So that's the minimal. I'm expecting them to be in the mix with two weeks left, um, whatever whatever that win total is. So question number two. Now this dates back to his question on the last podcast. If there was a biopic developed about the Big Red Machine, as I proposed previously, he asked what uh, actors would play the Big Red Machine uh, player players in a, a biopic of the the machine. Samuel L. Jackson, he says, is a must-have actor for me to either play George Foster or Pedro Bourbon. So who would you prefer <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson to play? Funny, goofy, nice guy George or nasty, hot-headed Pedro? I don't know if Pedro well, was nasty, but he was hot-headed. He was hot-headed. I, you know, I don't know those guys too well, and but I don't remember George Foster having that uh, at, at, off the field, having kind of that menace that uh, Sam Jackson can bring to the role. I I don't know that Sam Jackson's ever played a character who was lobbying to get on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> okay, so you're going to go with Pedro Bourbon. I guess. I'm going with George because I have seen in a number of films uh, Samuel L. Jackson with some fantastic uh, sideburns. True. So True. I'm going to go with Foster on that one. So good question, Rich. A uh, couple quick last ones. This is from Twitter.com slash RedLegRadio. How would you grade the Reds' front office offseason so far? Instead of Yasmani Grandal and Didi, this is from uh, Michael Henry at Zero Moon 13. Instead of Yasmani, Grandal, and Didi Gregorius, we got Moustakas, Castellanos, Akiyama, Wade Miley. Do you think those four are equivalent to the impact signings Grandal and Didi would have had? Hash Brown viewer mail. So how would I grade the Reds' front office? I think that, yeah, they're roughly equivalent, frankly, to what we would have gotten. Because I don't know what we would have gotten out of Didi Gregorius, frankly. I, I wanted him, and I thought he would have been a big upgrade, and he would have been a big upgrade at shortstop, but I don't know if it's, I don't know if those two over who they'd be replacing would be better than what the, these other guys are. So my grade for the Reds front office is I'm going to go A minus. What do you say? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I'm, I, it's a really interesting, uh, you know, parallel universe though, isn't it? Where, where they make two big splashy signings at their biggest weakness points versus adding a boatload of talent at places where they weren't really, where they were already pretty decent. Yeah. But, you know, so think about it this way. You either – and I think Grandal would be – is a really clear, obvious upgrade. I mean, he, he – his on-base percentage alone would have would have really been a nice add to the offense. Gregorius, I don't know. but Probably, but, you, but we're, we don't know. Yeah, if you have those guys, then you have, you have Tyler Malley instead of Wade Miley. And you're going into the season with a probable platoon of Irvin and, and Winker. And uh, Sinzel, and then I guess Kino? you give a job to Okino, where you look for Travis Jankowski. I I think I like what they did. I do too, and I don't know that I would have uh, expected them to be able to do better than that's what I wanted them to do was Grandal and Didi, 
And I, do, I think you're right. I think they're probably better in the aggregate with those guys. So, uh, Final question here also comes from our buddy Brian Bowdy. Reds fans should be more optimistic now than any time since blank. <laughs> I say since the beginning of 2013. Spring yeah. training 2013. Yep, I think so, that's right. Seven years ago. I was pretty optimistic then because, you know, 2012 Reds were the, the in my mind, uh, in the conversation for best team. In the oh, league. they won 97 games. Oh, they were good. And and did they lose anybody? Uh, you know, come on. You're asking me to remember that far back. At my advanced age, I can't remember that far back. So they added Shinsu Chu. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was with the team on that 13. Oh, man. Yeah, I was excited. So they got, they'd gotten rid of Ludwig and uh, Stubbs. I mean, and Stub, how how did they get rid? Stubbs was traded, right? Yeah. Ah, again, I can't remember. I've I've kind of blocked. Oh, that's out. the Chew trade. That's the whole thing. It was Trevor Bauer and Chew and and Gregorius and everybody we, we talked about already. Oh, right. We're all part of that deal. I like Shinsu Chu. Can I just say that? I enjoy him. Yes. Hey, let's wrap this thing up. You want to? Call it a night. Let's call it a night. This is Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number 308. Uh, thank you all for listening. You know where you can subscribe. Anywhere you find your podcast, you can subscribe. Uh, leave us a rating and review if you can. More important to me, it's important. I like. I, I prefer, appreciate any of you that leave a rating and a review at any wherever you get your podcasts. But uh, tell your friends about us if you, if you like us. And if you listen this far, you probably don't hate us anyway. So if you like us, talk about us. Tell your friends. If you don't like us, keep your mouth shut. Chris, final thoughts? Uh, good night, everybody. That is a final thought for Chris Garber and Nicholas Williams. This is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.